Now that that's settled, Joel, I stole your uh, thingy here. So I'll probably mess it all up. You'll have to figure out how to put it back together again. Actually, that's it. That's, that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Greetings to all of you. I can, boy, it's funny up here. I can't see any of you. That light shines in my eyes. So don't worry about it. Oh, that's good. There we go. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, Pastor Brent already gave you my introduction. Uh, we're speaking this morning about uh, three of the action words that are found in the, in the vision statement. Engaging mind, in, in minds, encouraging hearts, and empowering hands. This morning, I would like to speak to you about the first one. There, and you can see it right there. Engage minds. Yep, there it is. Okay, all right, good. Um, well, see, this is all new. I don't know how this stuff works, you know, and, and that's great. All right, okay. All right, what do we mean by engaging minds? Well, one of the things I thought about is that, you know, you go and you turn your computer on and the emails won't come in. So you go next door and you get the 12-year-old kid to come over and fix it up. You, you know, you get a computer whiz kid mine, you engage him to come over and help you fix your computers. I was going to tell you about the uh, two postdoc PhD Wash U students that were going together for a long time and they finally decided to be engaged in engaging minds. But this isn't working, so it just illustrates the point. It illustrates the point. Our minds are not engaged here this morning. No way. We, we are off, off the thing, and so that's not working. But actually, it illustrates exactly what it, what it means. We know what this means, engaging minds. It's, it's dealing with, it's interacting, it's relating, it's communing with, communicating with each other at the cognitive or understanding level. We're convey, I convey an idea, and you understand it. You say something to me, and I can understand what you're saying. We may not agree with each other, but we're connected. We have not tuned each other out. Our minds are engaged. So when we here at U City Family Church say that we want to engage minds, we are saying that we want you, over a course of time, to be able to, have a, to come to a place that you have some sort of a body of understanding and knowledge. You understand the message that we're trying to convey to you. And all of that, that is part of engaging minds. But you might be saying here, <clears throat> all right, wait a minute. I'm not coming in here to be thinking. I've been doing that all week long. Forget that. I don't, I don't want to make sense out of some new ideas. I want to come in here and I want to be encouraged. I want to... Uh, I'm hoping to be able to come in here and come out of this place and feeling good. I want my heart to be connected. And that's, that's absolutely a very valid reason, um, a valid desire. Jesus spoke of there being one commandment that was the most important, the greatest commandment, he said. And it starts off, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So it's a very valid reason, a very valid thing to be talking about. We want to be, we want to have, be connected at the level of the heart, and that's what Claude's going to be speaking about, encouraging hearts. But uh, 
there is more to that same commandment. If you continue on there, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Very much our minds need to be engaged with all of this. Um, we, need to be, we, we, we need to be connected. We need to have our minds connected to what's happening to this message that is being given. Because there's a lot of people in the world that are going to be trying to engage you at the mind and they're going to turn you off someplace and they're going to distort the message and it's going to be, they're going to take away the truth of the gospel. So very much we have to be engaged at the mind. There is, there is a message out there and that message is some message that we all need to understand and come about. The whole thing of people being trying to distort the message is not a new thing. Adam and Eve, you'll remember Adam and Eve. God created Adam, placed him in the garden, and he said, Adam, all these trees, any one of these trees, you can eat freely of them. No problem. Go for it. But he said, see this one tree right here? This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This one you may not eat. Very much there was minds engaged. There was a message. Eat all of these trees, but not of this one. But in the very next chapter of Genesis... The serpent comes along, and he says to Eve, Did God really say to you, You shall not eat of any of the trees? Well, no, God didn't say anything of the kind. He said, You may eat all those kind, but you can't eat of this one. Already, Satan was engaging Eve at the mine and seeking to distort the message. So... Today, the same is the true. Same is true. There are many voices out there that are going to seek to engage you and seek to take and move you away from the truth of the gospel at one form or another. So, if we here at U City Family Church are to truthfully report the message of God, there is a need to be engaged at the mind, at the level of the mind. In our life group this semester, we are studying Paul's prayers. And if I may, I'd like to just quickly look at one of these in the first chapter of Ephesians. Paul starts off, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. And then, and then here's his prayer. Here's his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. I wish we could spend all the rest of the morning here talking about the outcome of the prayer, the hope that we have. But this morning, I want, to, I want you to see the process of getting there. Uh, look at some of these words. Wisdom. Knowledge. That you may know. These are engagement words. Paul is praying that we might have our minds engaged in all of this. And then here's the essence of Paul's prayer. Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. One more, please. Oh. Oh, yeah, thank you. Looks different up here. 
Well, it does. <laughs> Paul prays. This then is the essence of, God, of Paul's prayer. Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him so that you may know the hope to which he has called you. A knowledge of him. If we're going to be able to latch on to that hope that is found in Jesus Christ, one of the steps in there is going to be able to come to a knowledge of God. A knowledge of all that God has done. Now, how may we come to have a knowledge of God, a knowledge of him? There are many ways, but I want to put one in our minds to say, and that is one sure way of increasing in the knowledge of God is to read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Or listen to an audio tape, for that matter. But be engaged be engaged with the Bible on a regular basis. Now, some of you might be saying, wow, man, I wish you would not have said that. Every time I pick up the Bible, I can't make sense out of it. And there is no way that I have time to be able to read this whole book. When I was first at a place in my life when I really wanted to increase in the knowledge of God, some guy came up to me, some man came up and he said, Challenge me to commit to reading the Bible five minutes a day. He says, don't, don't commit to a half an hour, 30 minutes, an hour, just five minutes a day. And today, today there's no reason why we can't carry a Bible around with us all the time. They have apps on the phones. They have apps on our tablets. And take five minutes a day. Just start small and just start. Start any place. It doesn't really matter. Just keep reading chapter after chapter. Go through one time. Go, th go through a second time. Just keep going. Make it a lifelong habit. Make it a family habit. But just start reading. Read the Bible. My prayer, my prayer, as a result of our coming together and gathering together here at U-City Family Church, I pray that two things will happen. I pray that our minds will be engaged. And as a result, that we all come to a newer and deeper appreciation for God's word that is found in the Bible. While God has spoken to us in many ways, through creation, through his son coming to dwell among us, he certainly has spoken to us in his word, his recorded word, his word that he passed down to us all these years. My challenge would be, get to know this book. Come to a greater knowledge of him and know the hope to which he has called us. Thank you. Amen. Boy, that was good. I, I have my timer set for 10.15. I'm hoping it's 10.15 a.m. <laughs> I'm hoping for you that it's 10.15 a.m. Um, well, it's a pleasure to be here, and it's a pleasure to uh, speak to you. I'm speaking on encouraging hearts. 
And I've been thinking about it for several days now. And one of the things that I started off the beginning of this year really meditating on is the word agape. And I found that the word agape in its definition meant a love feast, a love feast. And so I've been thinking about that, thinking about this idea of a love feast. A lot of times we have perceptions of uh, what it would be like to be a Christian before we become a Christian. Then a lot of times we become a Christian and we have all of these ideas in our minds and expectations and so on and so forth. Well, as a child, I was exposed to the faith And I assume I was following Jesus to the best of my ability, but really I think I was just following my mother. And then as a teenager, I made a bad decision. You know, teenagers make bad decisions. And I stopped following. And at 23, I came to myself and I started following again. And in following from 23 till today, what I've really concluded is that it really is a love feast to follow Jesus. So if you have any other perception, after this long haul, I'm not going to tell you how long, just keep going, I believe that you'll realize that it's a love feast. So when I, when I think about it, I had a couple of pictures that I put out. And if you just look at those pictures, do they look happy? Does it appear to be a feast going on in all of them? And there's many things on the table, right? There's a lot of perhaps vegetables and maybe some fruit and a little meat, a little pasta. So in this feast, what I'm getting at, there is a journey. There are a lot of things that happen, a lot of circumstances and issues and challenges that take place. But it doesn't take away from the fact that it's a love feast. I've come to know that. And if you stick around long enough, you'll get to the dessert. I'm in the dessert stages, <laughs> in case you haven't realized. Um, I want to look at a couple of scriptures. I want to look at 1 John 4 and 8. It says this. It says, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. So just being with God, you automatically enter into this love feast because he is love. Let's look at Ephesians 3 and 14. This is Paul praying. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family, and we're talking about family, in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, in this love feast, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. And then it says to grasp how wide long, high, and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Well, I I had a quote come to me in one of my weekly emails, and I'm going to quote it. It says, learn from yesterday, live for today, hope for tomorrow, The important thing is not to stop questioning. Well, Matthew 7 and 7 through 8 says this. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Well, I want to encourage you to... In wherever you are in following Jesus, every day embrace that you're in a love feast. Every single day, no matter what's happening, I want you to realize that you are participating in a love feast. It's good to keep asking God about his love. It's, it's good to ask him to reveal a greater measure of his love to you. And then it's also good to ask him to help you to reveal a greater measure of his love to family. And go beyond that and ask him to help you to reveal a greater measure of his love to the world, to the world, because there is a love feast in you when you accept Christ. There's a love feast in you. Let's go to John chapter 13, verse 35. It says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, at this point, I would say I showed you some families on the screen, and now, without my glasses on, I can't see anybody. I mean, really. But if you would look around, and if I could show you yourselves on a picture, you make up the U-City Church family. And what I would encourage you to do is connect with your family and connect deeply. Uh, Love one another. In the book of Revelations, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Yet I hold this against you. Now, this is in Revelations. This is the end of the book. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Now, prior to saying that, 
he talked about things that they were doing, you know, uh, labor, service, uh, setup team, greeting, all the things that we do. And in doing all of that, that's good, but don't lose sight of your first love. Don't lose sight of you're operating out of a love feast. Last verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8. I like this. This is the definition. I have to go to this pretty frequently and remind myself how far away I am and keep asking God to help me. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Enjoy the love feast. Amen. Good morning. Um, I noticed something about my uh, my two fellow speakers today, and that is uh, they're talking about encouraging hearts and engaging minds, and yet the word keeps coming up, do. Now, there's something to that, because if you are, if you are someone who has been transformed by the love of Christ, if you have had your mind engaged by the greatest mind that has ever existed, uh, if you are living in him, then there will be a natural result that the things you do are going to change. Now, that's what I'm here to talk about, um, empowering hands. What do we do with this faith that we have? Um, in the Old Testament, uh, there was, there's this, I mean, if you, I, I do encourage you to read it. I encourage you to maybe get Google ready when you're reading the Old Testament because you're going to be looking up some stuff. Uh, I've, in a minute, we're going to show you a verse out of the Minor Prophets, which is a, a group of books that are called Minor Prophets because they wrote very small books. And uh, they keep talking about these places, Tyre and Sidon and Nineveh and people, you know, mentioned. And you're like, why, are they, why is God so angry at Sidon? I mean, what in the world did they do? Um, you may have to look that up, you know. But um, in the Old Testament... If you read it as kind of one big long saga, kind of like the Silmarillion, any Tolkien fans in the audience? You know, you read the Silmarillion, it's really engaging and fun because Tolkien wrote it in order to be engaging and fun. And then you read the Old Testament, it's kind of like that except for the, it's less fun. Um, some of it is fun, but some of it is not fun. Some of it when he's like counting up how many people are in the army and he's just like listing them all out there, it's not fun. Um, there's a book called Numbers. I mean, it's, it, I mean, they literally just called it Numbers. Like, that's all they had to offer. Like, um, so anyway, but there's this story that goes, God rescued 
a people, and he called them out for himself, and he brought them out of slavery in Egypt, and he conquered Pharaoh and all the gods of Egypt one by one through the ten plagues. Uh, he showed the people of the world. Egypt was one of the most powerful countries on, on the, in the world at the time. Showed everyone around there, God is bigger and badder than all those false gods. And he brought the people out of Egypt. He brought them out of slavery. He brought them into the promised land. He got rid of everyone who opposed him. And if anyone said, we don't trust God, and they were part of God's people, God said, okay, then you're welcome to, to keep on not trusting me until you die. That's, you're welcome to do that. And he let them wander in the desert until after 40 years, every adult who had come out of Egypt had died. And the only people left were the kids who grew up and became adults because they grew up trusting God and their parents grew up distrusting God and couldn't get it right. And so God let the old people die and let the young people take over. And then he brought them into the promised land. They came into the promised land and God said, don't intermarry with the people that live there. They can convert to Judaism, they can become Hebrews, and then they can be part of you, but you cannot be part of them. And everyone's like, yeah, but they're really pretty. And so they got married, and they worshiped the false gods of their spouses. And God said, you know, if you keep worshiping false gods, I'm going to come in there, and I'm going to wipe you out. I'm going to bring in foreign people. They're going to come in and conquer you. They're going to tax you. They're going to be oppressive. They're going to carry you away to slavery again. Is that what you want? And they said, no, but we really enjoy worshiping those other gods. And so they did. And so God brought in foreign armies and foreign conquerors to, to kind of harass them and conquer them and carry them off into captivity. And they went off into captivity. And then we have the books of like Daniel where about people who were living in captivity and living out what God wanted. And that's when the people of Israel started saying, you know, maybe we should just start doing what God said. I mean, we're his people. He called us out. He rescued us from slavery. He gave us everything that is good. Maybe we should respond by doing something different. And so you see in the book of Daniel, people starting to say, we should obey God radically. We should obey God when it goes against society, when it goes against the law. We will still obey God. And God continues to bless the people who obey him and uses them to influence the greater society around them. And then the people came back out of captivity, and they were back in the land of Israel, and they were a kingdom again. And, you know, after that, they didn't struggle with idolatry. They, didn't, they weren't really worried about false gods anymore. They, didn't, they had seen that it was false. They weren't really intermarrying with other countries around them and adopting their foreign ways. They were a people called out by God. But they did miss something. They got so interested in being God's people they forgot to do what God wanted them to do. They were really interested in keeping that identity and saying, I'm God's people. I'm God's people. I'm God's people. But they weren't living according to the way God wanted them to live. And so the book of Micah is one of these minor prophets. And Micah talked to the people after captivity. And he said in Micah 6, 8, He has told you, O man, what is good. Sorry, I'll read the version that's up on the screen. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does God, the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is the kind of life that God wants his people called out by him, rescued by him, wearing his name. He wants his people to live according to these values and these standards. And the behavior that you show 
will display whether or not you're a person of God or not. That is what's going to separate us from anyone else. And that's something that was already mentioned. If you love one another, right, that's a, that is an action. And I remember, you know, DC Talk. Anyone DC Talk? That's a Christian rap R&B group. For those of you who came into the becoming a Christian after the 90s, um, they were really amazing when I was like 13. Um, but they have a song called Love is a Verb. Love is a verb. And it's true. Love is a doing kind of thing. If you are in a marriage with somebody who loves you and doesn't act like it, more than words, right? That's all I want to see, more than words. That's another song, sorry. Um, it's my, uh, one of my karaoke go-tos. Not because I'm good at singing it, just because it gets a shocked look on the audience every time. Um, but your doing will look different if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've been rescued by God, if you've been brought out of slavery to sin, if you have a new hope, then your doing will look different. Now, here's a little caution. Some people get the idea that doing is what makes you a person of God. That ain't true. Jesus is who makes you a person of God. Jesus' sacrifice and his resurrection from the dead conquers your sin he brings you out of slavery to sin. He brings you into a new life. He restores you. He resurrects you. And you begin a new life in Christ that starts now and goes all the way into eternity. He gives you hope now and in the future. And then, based on who you are now, you're a transformed person, then you begin to do something different. Doing doesn't make you a person of God. Being a person of God helps you do different things. Now, looking at Matthew 25, this is where Jesus was teaching, and it's towards the end of Jesus' ministry when he's getting ready to uh, be killed on the cross. He's teaching, and he has this diverse audience, and he tells this parable about this king who gathered everyone together for judgment. And he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Because our job as people of God, as people of the kingdom of God, is to do, and what will doing look like? It will look like justice, it will look like mercy, it will look like sacrifice, it will look like radical love, no matter what. And that is how we are identified as people who truly are uh, transformed by the power of the gospel. And then... uh, the book of James, James was uh, one of the early teachers of the church after Jesus' resurrection, and he said, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. These go hand in hand, saying, I am not of the world, having that identity as somebody who is holy and set apart, 
goes hand in hand with radical love towards people who cannot possibly repay you. I'm sorry. When, when you serve someone who can repay you, then there's always a mixed motive. And that's okay. Keep serving those people. Recognize your mixed motives and keep serving. But when you serve someone who cannot possibly give back to you, whose only, whose only response can be thank you and know nothing else, that is when you begin to see what it's like to be God. Just a small taste of the radical, sacrificial, everlasting love of God towards us who can never repay. And yet we continue to have his love poured out on us all the time. And so our behavior changes and we begin to see that we want to be different. We want to serve. We want to transform the world. We want to change hearts and minds uh, through our service. Now, New City Family Church, as a church, there are many ways that we attempt to live out this part of our calling. Um, we have uh, support. We pr- support and provide for young people through University City School District and McClure School District. Um, we are part of the Association of Related Churches, which is a network of churches that are planting new churches around the country. We provide food, clothing, training, and emergency child care to those in need through Kingdom House, uh, through Operation Food Search, through the Salvation Army, We provide affordable and professional Christian counseling through Avenues Counseling Center. We provide discipleship to students through Young Life and InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. We train and mentor fathers seeking to reintegrate into society after incarceration through Father Support Center. We provide holistic legal services to the homeless and working poor through Arch City Defenders. And internationally, uh, we also support a couple different groups. One of them is Black Box International that provides rehabilitation for boys rescued from sex trafficking, and Rafa House. Sorry, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little emotional, because I, um, I, uh, I'm goofy, but I'm also kind of a sap, so you get both ends of the spectrum with me. Um, and we, through Rafa House, which is a group that provides rehabilitation services for girls rescued from sex trafficking, and uh, right now, Black Box is operating in the Dominican Republic, and uh, Rafa House, the, the one person we support through them, or we're going to be starting this year to support this person, is operating in Cambodia. Um, now, why do we do all this? Is this enough? No. This is just what we as a church community, with our funding, we give to these causes, along with a lot of other churches and a lot of other Christians. We give to these causes. And then as individuals in our communities, we are being transformed, and we are seeing how can I love my literal neighbor, the people who I live by? Is it going to be a matter of going to somebody who's a shut-in, someone who's elderly or handicapped that lives near me that doesn't get out very much, visiting them, listening to them, sharing some a plate of brownies? Is it a matter of um, going to the school that I live near and volunteering? Uh, what is it going to look like? Well, it's going to look different. There are 7 billion people on earth. There are another 7 billion or more that have ever lived. And for if there are 14 billion stories, there are 14 billion ways of serving God in our communities. It's going to look different. When you say, man, this is the thing. This is the thing. Someone else is standing beside you saying, no, no, this is the thing. 
And God is saying, yeah, do both. I will work through you to do both of those things or to do all of these things to radically transform the community through love, through engaging minds, encouraging hearts, and I'm empowering you and your hands to do it. Um, I'm going to invite our musicians to come back up and close us out. I do want to encourage you, as you go out this week, we want you to be encouraged. If you're broken, if you're going through something hard, this is the one group of people of any that we want to say it's safe to go through it with us. We'll be there for you. If you feel like God isn't listening to you, if you feel like you have doubts, you have problems, we want your mind to be engaged here. And if you want to work to transform this world, or this community, or even your family, we want to say God is here to empower your hands to do that. Uh, at U City Family Church, every Sunday we invite you to worship in three different ways. Prayer, there's a place in your connection card where you can write down anything you're going through. Or you can just say, I don't want to tell you what it is, but just pray for me anyway. You can write it down. Say, tell us who you are, and we will pray for you this week. You can drop that connection card into one of these baskets at the four stations around the room. Forgiving, this is something that we, if you're a member of UCD Family Church, we invite you to worship through giving. It's one of the oldest ways that God has always called his people to believe in him and have faith in him is by saying, give part of what you have back. Uh, and if you're a skeptic and you're like, look, I want to follow Jesus, I'm pretty sure, but I'm really skeptical about some guy up in front of the church saying, give me money then don't give it to us. Give it away to somebody else. Set a goal and say, for three months, I'm going to give away 10% of my money somewhere else to somebody who, will, who I don't know, a stranger, not to the church because I don't want them, you know, that conflict of interest or whatever. See how God uses it to transform your life when you start giving away. Uh, but we do invite you to give into these baskets. And then communion. Uh, communion is something that Jesus instituted. He said, on the night that he was betrayed, before he was killed, he gathered his disciples, he broke bread, and he said, this is my body that's broken for you, eat it. And he poured out wine into, into cups, and he passed it around, and he said, this is my blood that's being poured out for you. Every time you get together, celebrate with this meal. And so we have juice, and we have bread, and we want you to come and partake of it and worship. And now I invite you to stand as our worship team leads us in a song worship with us in any or all of these ways.